And I agree with you. E-racing cannot compare. Wait, you're talking 2018 Singapore? Or no, Shanghai? Chinese. Shanghai, yeah, yeah Shanghai. Um, oh, yeah. No, it's funny. I was watching um, old Indy 5 finishes today and watching real racing. You're like, shit, this is sick. <laughs> this is just so much better. Dude, it's so much better. Oh. Lit. Hi, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Open Wheel Debrief with your host, Patrick Hamilton, and my co-partner, Tom Settle. Today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about uh, things we like this week in racing and the F1 IndyCar Virtual Grand Prix, what we liked, what drivers we saw, what, what things can be fixed, all that and more on the Open Wheel Debrief. Dude, so one relevant to this podcast, but also a cool, sto- cool story. Like an hour ago, I got off um, a, r- a ride, a bike ride, mm-hmm. or a workout. And um, basically, it's like this video game. It's essentially like the iRacing of cycling. It's called Zwift. Yeah. And um, it's just like a virtual, like you have a virtual character, and it's hooked up to your trainer, and like, you know, it's very like it tries to be real life, but it's not. But it's like as close as we can get. So mm. very much, very much like our racing. But anyways, did a ride with Tony Kanan, and uh, yeah, I see him do those all the time. Yeah, he's super into it. So TK was in there. Uh, Healy Castroneves was in there, and basically TK hosts like a weekly Monday night ride, and it's kind of like it's like all Brazilians, and then like all like the people I rode with in Indy. Mm-hmm. It was like the people I rode with in Indy, like my coach is like good friends with TK. Like they're on the same team. And so like I rode right. with TK like weekly back in Indy. And um, anyway, so that's kind of why I did it. I wanted to jump on there and say what's up to the guys. But uh, super funny. And, um, you know, I went I went a little bit in interview mode, kind of got my feet on the ground and uh, sent them in the chat. I was like, Helio and TK, what do you think about like racing? Like how do you like it? Are you enjoying it? And TK responded immediately and said, I like Swift better. And Helio said, yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, dude. So you heard it Kudos here first. Kudos to you, man. Yeah. Kudos to you hopping in, asking the bold questions. I like it. That's hilarious, though. I Especially all the vets, man. You just got to expect that that's what they're going to – they're not going to like virtual racing nearly as much as some of the young drivers like Karam and everyone else. I know, right? I know they get so they get so pissy during the like video games, <laughs> but anyways, it was funny. TK and Helio too. I don't think Helio rides like as much as uh, Tony, but TK is so damn strong. He's a monster. He just looks like an absolute meat stick, dude. He's a unit. Instagrams. He's a yeah. unit. He's so short too. He's like five five, but he's like just this little meatball. I don't know if you ever saw it, NBCSN. They had this TV special, and I forget who hosted it, but they basically, uh, one of the segments they had, the, like, 1912 Indy 500 race-winning car, and they had some professional driver running around the track, and they had TK be, like, the passenger engineer, Mm -hmm. and he's just wearing this tight shirt. They're going, like, 100 down the 
Coleman Boulevard and TK's arms are just popping out of his shirt and he's helping this dude move the wheel. It was it just glorified how jacked the dude is and you can tell he he definitely spends time biking all the time. Yeah, he's so fit. I would get so jealous and I, I had an opportunity one time and I missed it, but he would have like the like kind of our group ride out a couple times during the summer to ride at like 7 a.m or 6 30 a.m at the ims and he would go out like every day before practice and just like get like some fast guys in there and just rip um on the bikes get like 12 guys out there and just do like a fast group ride and um incredible i was like oh man i can't even imagine that asphalt dude it's probably like butter yeah Oh, you just ride. And when I worked at the Speedway, it was uh, Doug Bowles, right, is the president of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And he would always try and be very friendly and accommodating to drivers, right? Because they're going out there and risking their lives every Mm -hmm. time they're running the track. And so I think you're right. TK was the one that kind of lobbied to Doug Bowles. Like, hey, track isn't being used at 630 in the morning when they ride the bike. And he has like Scott Dixon is another huge biker and mm-hmm. a couple other like I think Will Rossi Power got too. into biking. Rossi, right? All of them. That's what they is I guess is there any correlation to like biking and racing? Um, I think more so just Indy. Like Indianapolis, much like it's a racing capital, is a cycling capital because of um it's where Zip, which is like a carbon wheel manufacturer started and so all those guys are kind of endorsed by zip and i mean it kind of goes hand in hand it's funny like when i watch these oval races it's like so so similar to like it takes me back to college when doing the little 500 and like riding and stuff like the strategy is very much the same yeah um i think i think too the guys just like they like to say fit so sure i'm sure it keeps them fit and whatnot but it's it's like you're talking about it's the at least the feeling that I got from the race this weekend at uh, Monteague, and I don't even know if I'm saying that right, but at Japan, it felt like there was an advantage to being second or third in line as far as saving fuel and saving tires, your tire wear. Um, I thought there was definitely an advantage to having someone else push the air in front of you and, you know, benefiting from drafting the entire race totally dude i had that written down too and we'll hit on that later but like you very much saw like a a penske like front pack kind of like group together and pull away Mm -hmm. um but yeah very much like you would see in like a bike race which is funny well very cool that you got a got a message tk and elio man yeah you know we're uh, always welcome on the pod boys always welcome always Always. TK, Helio, feel free. Come share biking stories. Always welcome. Well, what do you got? Anything Anything that caught your eye in the racing scene besides the two races we watched? Yeah, so something that I really liked in racing week that I saw, I watched on Netflix. Uh, my good buddy, shout out to Mike Ryan, listener of the pod, suggested that I listen to uh, this series called Up and um, I don't know if you have the chance to watch it, but great watch. It's about Willie T. Ribs, the first African-American driver to qualify for the Indy 500. Um, it kind of highlights his racing career, um, some of the oppression 
that he went through. His first race that he started was in in um, the late seventies, so like heyday of racism in the deep deep South, mm-hmm. just to try to get over segregation, but clearly not working. Um, and there's so many death threats that he had to pull out before his first race. And then there's some trials and tribulations that he had to go through just to make it through Indy. He had a chance to race and he tested in Barcelona for F1 in 1980. Um, but he just didn't have any sponsors. It didn't work out. But um, he had the speed and was able to do it. And just needed, you know, racing is a sport of money and just no one was there necessarily to sponsor him except for a couple of key players that he talks about. Really entertaining watch. Uh, definitely passed some quality time in the quarantine life. But uh, a good watch, for sure. Dude, that's the truth. What's it called again? Uppity. And, uh, Uppity. He said he, he said he got the name because track would call him Uppity in a uh, language that our uh, disgraced member of the podcast, Kyle Larson, would say. <laughs> <laughs> oh dude i'll have to watch it though yeah no i got uh i'm always looking for a netflix series right now so yeah I'll it's cool because he was he's like he was cocky like he was friends with muhammad ali they like introduced to one another and he kind of had that same cocky attitude and was always you know raising a little bit of hell which you weren't supposed to be breaking barriers back then but it was cool to hear him talk the entire time just the cockiness that he had, but also the confidence. Um, very interesting dynamic. So very, very cool watch. Was uh, was racing back then, would you say it was kind of like a gentleman's sport? Uh, still very team-oriented, still highly competitive. Uh, I do feel like they put an emphasis on um, it is all about talent. It was a lot more talent because there really wasn't that much difference in the cars. But – Again, it's talent wins. There really wasn't, like, you know how IAAs and rule regulations all over the place. Mm-hmm. It was like you're talking about a gentleman's sport and the fact of you needed to handle your business on track. And if shit got heavy, you settled it off track, whether that be hand fights, yelling, matches, but uh, mostly, mostly fist fights. Dang, that's wild. Dude, that kind of segues me to my next point of I've always been interested in like if you were to take a young kid and have him like go-kart in his entire childhood, give him the financial backing that like he needs, like would he be able to be a professional driver like not easily, but like fairly easily. Like talent is a big part of it, but like you said, like financial backing is huge. And I've always thought this about Lance Stroll in Formula One. Like, he's kind of just like daddy's little boy. And Mm -hmm. that was something else I saw in the news today of Lawrence Stroll, Lance Stroll's dad, the Canadian billionaire, buying, and this is in January, buying majority stake in Austin Martin and having plans to bring them back as a manufacturer in 2021 um but what caught my eye was this past late last week was announced and this monday was official was that total wolf also invested in aston martin 
um, because I guess he's good friends with Lawrence. But Toto, when questioned, like, is this an out of Mercedes? He was saying that, like, no, this is only a personal, like, financial endeavor, like, yada, 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 yada. Oh, Um, whatever. Whatever, right. I mean, one, it reminds me how much... Mm dumb money these guys have like i think lawrence threw like nearly 400 million dollars and uh as an investment like just chump change um Mm -hmm. but it's always funny even watching drive to survive like watching lance he's just like such this like pretty boy like privileged privileged dude and i'm like man like if i had a dad like that could i be on the grid like that'd be sick (laughs) Oh my gosh. I can't imagine the amount of money. Well, I mean, part of it is just like the amount of money you throw at a car, the better it gets. So being a driver is being able to take advantage of any sort of uh, perk or advantage that you have as a driver um, and putting that on the racetrack. So obviously Lance Stroll probably given as many advantages as possible growing up, made him look like the better driver, but I would hope, it'd take a little bit of talent considering that, you know, we've seen a stroll on a podium in um, Azerbaijan mm-hmm. back in, what was that? 2017, 2016. Mm-hmm. So I hope, I hope it takes a little bit of talent. Um, you know, that'd be a pipe dream for me, for my dad to put me on, on the race. Cause, but again, I think even at the Monza Grand Prix last year, when, you know, Sebastian Vettel hit, stroll off the track and you could tell he was even whining like you know Vettel he hit me hit me off the track he came on the track like a maniac and then he proceeds to do the exact same thing um to who do you do that to to Gasly or Kriat and it just shows you like dude's kind of uh uh spoiled rotten where he doesn't realize some of his he's like he's like he's like daddy I want to race in the pink car I want to race in the pink car and now he's like daddy I want I want Aston Martin oh geez dude i don't hate the guy but i think he's, I, I don't hate hey, the guy but he's good no, he's on my fantasy team so you better, you better yeah. stop talking too much right yeah yeah but anywho uh, interesting news in racing total wolf is yeah. uh is questionable in my eyes i don't think it's just for a financial gain i'm sure there's i'm sure dude there's got to be so much like, like politics there's got to be so much under under the table jostling that has to be going on as far as, especially with driver talent acquisition, uh, engine, engine manufacturing, everything else. It's gotta, it's gotta be a dog eat dog. Yeah, definitely. I looked into it more and too, and total has like financial stake in, I think at least four teams, including what would be Aston Martin, but, um, Mercedes, obviously hmm. India, Indian, Indian Racing Point, which is like kind of Mercedes Junior, um, Williams too. Mm-hmm. So three Mercedes teams, but yeah, interesting, interesting on the left. Wish I had that kind of money to throw around. Yeah, it'd be very very nice. Alrighty, Tom, let's go ahead and dive into the fantastic IndyCar race we had this weekend at Montague in Japan. Uh, I don't know about you, but I had a couple of notes written down. Uh, obviously, for my podcast last week, very upset to see Simon Pagano take the victory again. Not a huge fan. Uh, again, he's more than willing to come on the pod and talk about it, but I just think uh, the French driver, the Jean Girard kind of bit, just rubs me the wrong way. Um, but he kind of earned it. 
a uh, little bit less of a fight when um, Oliver Askew took out McLaughlin and um, Will Power. But again, can't you got to give it up? He did win it fair and square. Yeah, I was definitely a Team Penske kind of takeaway. Like McLaughlin was in there at the end, but Power and Pagano were running that race for the majority of the race. Dixon too, and uh, they definitely kind of figured this shit out like they kind of know the strategies and it's becoming more clear to the drivers too i think i was watching new garden stream and he was talking about he was kind of bashing his strategist strategy which ironically new gardens on penske as well so i don't really know the disconnect but um it seems very much that conserving fuel early and they'll there's bound to be a yellow very early in the race. And then the trend is at least with Michigan and Japan now is that there's one yellow and there's no more yellows after that. When you saw Scott McLaughlin's crash was absolutely crazy. And I thought that would have been a perfect time for a competition yellow, right? You bunch everyone back up, you try to file it out. And at that point it's a six lap sprint to the finish with a bunch of high intensity racing or at least that would have been the right call in my opinion but it was like you talked about it's one yellow early on in the race to satisfy everyone it seems like the right thing to do no matter what happens in that first pit uh whenever that first yellow is you pit and take advantage of the right. fuel savings. yeah and it's always at the beginning too i think they made it all but five laps this time without a yellow so an improvement from the mm-hmm. three car lengths uh last weekend but um, it cracks me up listening to the racer radio before the race. They're like, all right, boys, like, this is fun. Let's have a good race. Like, we're just out here to have fun. And then the second they get, like, a bump into the wall, they're like, they're like, who the hell? Like, like Dixon, what the hell, man? Like, they get so pissy. And, like, it's so funny to hear. <laughs> but, like, once they're out there, like, they get so competitive. And, again, like like you were oh talking gosh, last yeah. week, like, they, they totally bash on this this Greg guy who's like the race commissioner, poor dude. <laughs> but honestly, like everything that goes yeah. wrong with the race, like uh, the beginning Hinchcliffe had some technical difficulties or whatever. And Tony uh, got wrecked out early and was a lap down real quick and was asking for a lap back and yada, yada, yada. yada. And they'll complain to him. And Greg's response is just like, sorry, boys, like we got to do it for the broadcast. Like we'll, we'll talk about a race debrief. And then finally TK was like, Greg, that's all you ever say. We'll talk about it in the debrief. Things need to be done, man. Like It's so funny to hear. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. The dude gets rattled on. And I understand you need to do it for, you know, the the broadcast. But, I mean, let the boys play a little bit. Make If, if this is all about manufacturing as much entertainment value as you can. Um, and I get it. Maybe you're on a time crunch. But I still thought. They had plenty of time to interview Simon Pagano at the end of the race. Why not cut some of that interview, right? Because you can put that all on social media and just put the entertainment at the end of the race. Because what it came down to, the Scott Dixon chase down, which really had me on the edge of my seat for the last 10 laps because I was cheering hard for Scott. But it came down to that final turn. I think it was, it was just Scott Dixon's inexperience on a sim racing just slightly nudged. Simon Pagano, he's able to hold his nose and there's, you know, he cut off Scott Dixon's momentum completely and there's no catching him towards that final lap. So I just thought 
if we would have been able to have a competition in yellow when Scott McLaughlin crashed, it just would have made it so much more entertaining. And what we were talking about earlier was, I'm wondering how much does that Oliver Askew incident translate to the actual track? Because really, Will Power has got to be pissed because he's been in every single one of these races, I think minus Walk. Watkins Glen when he was first figuring it out, but he still was what a top 10 finisher. I think a top five finisher. So Will Power has the capability on a Sims and was looking for another potential victory. And I thought, I thought he was going to stick it out, but Oliver Askew just ruined it. And I'm wondering if he, I, I don't think drivers have short-term memory. No, I agree. It's, I mean, that's like the biggest no, no in competition. Like that. I mean, they're doing like 27 seconds lap, 27 second lap. So it's bound that lap riders would be in the mix. But the entire race, like genuinely, the the drivers were being good about like calling out, like, "Hey, TK, coming up behind you." Like TK would move to the outside. They go in, no big duck problem. Like, thanks, bud. Like, all good. But when that happens, and like, God forbid, it's the end of the race, like that's like bad news. And like, if that were to happen. Mm-hmm. in real life like that's something we would talk about all week and like there'd be absolutely repercussions from it so it's fun to play those right. scenarios in my head i found myself doing it a lot during watching this race and watching the formula one race too because it was a little boring but thinking like if this was real life and like you had those little like bump overtakes like whenever there's a bump in real life like that like crowd goes wild like that's crazy right, right. Like, more than likely like something's gonna come of it and it could be like really bad uh and it's just like generally very exciting but like it's funny seeing this late race where like bumps become like strategy you know right if because seriously if you think about it if scott dixon slightly bumps simon pagino on that last or second to last corner he could potentially be in the wall and you have a race winner in scott dixon and a ton of controversy surrounding that last mm-hmm. lap finish mm-hmm. you know what i mean yep all day um it was a good race though I, I i think i enjoyed this one better in michigan to be honest um i'm starting to figure out the game a little more and i'm starting to figure out these strategies and we kind of touched about it a little earlier mm-hmm. how like you like i think the the initial wrecks bound to happen you're going to be yellow and then like the fuel strategies kind of vary in that range um, but generally you have like front pack kind of sticking together, kind of waiting it out. And then it kind of turned into that throughout the race. You had this like front pack kind of like gradually going away. And then late race, um, it's funny watching the broadcast when you have like new garden leading the race with like 16 to go or something. And then I'm watching his stream on the side yeah. and he's like damn near cursing out his strategist, like, like you have to pit me. Like I have no fuel. Like this was a terrible strategy. Like look what you've done. And and then like the the broadcast, the NBC broadcast is like Newgarden might have a chance here. Like he's looking really good if if he can pull if he can hang at, uh, in front of the the other guys here. So it's just it's funny to funny just to do right. And then Lee Diffie calls into the pit side broadcaster. He's like, well, I'm watching um, I'm watching Newgarden's stream, and it seems like he's not happy. And you can just switch to the actual stream and he's cursing out his strategist. (laughs) So I also thought just trying to, I'm trying to compare it to what we saw in the F1 race. I feel like 
from the last couple of races, at least the camera angles, I'm not sure if it's um, the racetrack that we were at, but I thought the coverage of everything that was happening during the race has gotten a lot better. I don't know if that just comes from experience, but um, I had no complaints on, on that end. Um, something else that I kind of noticed was Helio Castroneves was what down a lap or two laps, but he was just, he almost was kind of being bothersome to Dixon at the end of the race was just hanging around in the back of the pack lurking. Um, so I don't know what he was doing there. I get it. You're trying to go as fast as possible. But if, if like Greg was talking about, if this is for the broadcast, I don't know what Helio's doing. Just like basically hanging on Scott Dixon's tail. Yeah, no. And you got to think, they, I mean, they wouldn't do that in real life, but I think there's kind of a bit of like a, a virtual like deal where they're just like a, doesn't matter. I, they're just trying to compete. And I, Tony said the same thing when he was a lap down and people were, kind of getting at him late race to move out of the way. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, he's like, guys, I'm three laps down. Like, I don't even care. I'm just trying to go fast. You know, like it really, like they're just kind of <laughs> over it and they're so pissed off. So I honestly, I was fantasizing too. just what if some driver was like, screw it. I'm just going to throw a huge curveball in this entire race and takes out like the, the top leader like the reactions that would happen there. If, if you can tell that it was just an intentional wreck. And I, I just think that would yeah, be Yeah, dude, I mean, what would happen? You see it too, like right when they uh, cross the line, like they'll all just like ram into each other. <laughs> They're just like, yeah, we're done, <laughs> you know? Sure. And yeah, the incredible crash and even the commentators were laughing about the entire ordeal at the end of the race where Simon Pagenaud just had his engine hood taken right, right off. So very, very comical. Um, some other notes that I had, um, Carly Pierce sung the national anthem. I don't know if you saw that. She did an incredible job. Very, very well done. Best national anthem by far. And Mario Andretti saying the gentlemen start your engines, which NBC is sticking to their guns with an entire national anthem and gentlemen start your engine. And I think by far this is the yeah, best Yeah, no, one. I agree. I think, uh, I don't know who the the chick was who sang the anthem, but Mario, um, I mean, that's iconic. Um, I think generally the production quality is so much better on NBC compared to the formula one stuff. Um, like you said, they're sticking to their guns, they're staying yeah. true and they're, they're keeping the tradition alive. They're having the, I mean, they're even having the IndyCar pastors on or, uh, what do they call right. But just to say like a quick prayer and whatnot. So, it's cool. I pr- yeah, the yeah, the virtual ministers. ministers. I appreciate it. I mean, no one's life's at risk here, so like, doesn't matter. <laughs> but hey, no. it's, it's yeah. you gotta appreciate it. It makes it feel more right, like exactly. Race so appreciate it as a fan. So we got next week, um, Coda going out. To oh, Austin, is Texas. that right? That'll be uh, yeah. I think that'll be a very interesting road course race. I'm wondering if um, kind of what they do in real life and what formula one did this weekend being really lax with the entire uh staying within the uh the lines for the road course so right trying to gain momentum and going a little bit wider into turn one um i wonder if they're going to be pretty lax on those rules or if they're going to um try to make it as tight as possible Yeah, dude why do you why are they doing that i don't understand i don't get that so the reason why they do that is i don't especially in formula one you saw them coming off of turn 15 into the final straight um, usually you'd have to shift down into like 
um, third or fourth gear um, in real life um, when you're taking that corner. But if you don't take that corner and you just go a little bit wider, you can still stay in fifth or sixth gear, depending on how fast you're going, and then just slam on the throttle. Instead of being at 120 miles an hour, you're, at, you're already at 150 carrying that momentum. So I see why they do it. Um, you saw Matt, one of the commentators, literally about to lose his shit because they were not following the rules. What, like the the like real life rules? Like they were going yeah. too wide? Because yeah. Leclerc, I was watching Leclerc's stream, and he was just like, "Yeah, I mean, as drivers, we all agreed like we're gonna do this, so uh, it's in the virtual rule book, so we're all good." But it was odd. They were like, it was like they were almost playing like the the pit entry. It was like so wide, right? Honestly, it. I'm surprised there weren't any more like, you know, any back ends coming out towards the end of that race, right? Where someone was slipping, especially when your tire wear starts to um, gain on those cars. So I get why they do it. I don't necessarily like it. It's not pleasing to the eye, but, you know, you got to do anything to gain a competitive advantage. Yeah, yeah I guess. Um, all right. So let's talk about that race. So Shanghai, correct? I always Shanghai. get it mixed up. Yep. Shanghai, a grid that looked very similar to the last or two weeks ago, Formula One. Lando again has technical issues. So, so brother, figure it out, man. I know. Didn't they talk about the fact that he had someone over to fix his internet connection? Yeah, issues? because this is a problem. But like he's streaming almost every day. Uh, right. and not like really having issues until race day. So, yeah. And I mean, if you're F1, I don't know why the hell you're not sending one out there personally to make sure that that goes on because the whole entire reason that, um, these virtual races have any sort of success is because of Lando Norris basically bringing in an entire crowd of people to watch. And then all of a sudden he starts to bring on Albon and George Russell and Charles Leclerc, like, He's the reason some of this is so successful. So I don't know why you aren't keeping him right. Together. Dude, no, he should be the golden child. There's only like seven. There, the most they had this week, and there was only seven F1 drivers, I think, or six, seven. Um, and yeah, Lando goes out. So anyway, I think Lando needs to figure that out. But the dude yeah. is a child. It's funny. Um, but anyways, qualifying much like the week before, Charles in the front and a start. The the dude's in a different league compared to the other people. Took, Took off. off, dude. Dude, dude was gone. I, you, into the first corner, which is no less than what three hundred meters from the start finish. He's already got like a second lead. Yeah, no, it's crazy. Yeah, I was watching his stream, and he like Loki got like pretty hype about it. He was like, "Great start!" <laughs> like he's just screaming. <laughs> Albon was second, yeah. I believe, and um the race was kind of just a battle between them two. It didn't really get close until the first pit window where Leclerc went in and uh, eventually came out, got overtaken. And then it kind of became a battle for a a little bit mid race. But I thought it was interesting, just the ability to highlight how important the undercut strategy is in an F1 race. I, again, you saw it with Albon. He pitted so early what was it lap mm-hmm. three he pitted and if you were watching charles stream i saw a highlight he was kind of like oh my gosh he already pitted 
holy cow, like I didn't expect that. And it forced him to come in and make an early pit stop. And that's what got him the lead. Yeah, no, it did. It was funny too, like the moment, like Charles went in fully expecting to come out still ahead and he goes in and then he does his stop and then like a Renault comes in the pit lane and is like, like Charles has to wait for him to like pass him or whatever. And he gets so mad. Charles is like screaming at the, he's like raging at his computer because he had to wait uh, just like he would have to in real life for the car to come in front of him before he came out of his, uh, you know, proper pit stop. And then that eventually is what, you know, he came out maybe a, a half second behind Albon and uh, led yeah. to a pretty entertaining, like five lap, three lap uh, battle between those two. Um, again, just like s so much bumping, it's like almost like hard to watch. Like it's just not real, real. Um, and no, it's pretty. It seems a little sloppy, and you can see it too. Like with the racers watching Charles, like he went for a pretty hard um, pass on the inside of a corner, and uh, just like slammed into Albon, and it was immediately it was like, oh, like. I'm sorry, you got that. Like, keep going. I'll try again. <laughs> like, he knew it was yeah. just like a botched attempt. Even even though he probably could have pulled it out if he like put the pedal down. But uh, it's right. yeah. Well, I even thought him getting over him moving over to um, he was basically three quarters of his car was in the grass on the inside. Right, 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 right. So I agree with the entire. It's it's sloppy, and I think it takes away from the realistic part of the entire race. Right. I mean, Albon was. So far wide in turn one because Leclerc just basically booted mm -hmm. him out there. Yeah, yeah. No, it looked like a it looked like a Verstappen move on um, Leclerc and Austria. It kind of brought me back to that. Yeah, um, oh, but a boy. little a little more a little more malicious. Low key though, Carlos signs for, for the dude just getting shunted in the first <laughs> lap. I thought he was my driver of the day. I'm a huge Carlos Sainz guy. Um, I think he's an incredible talent. Very cool to see him basically just hop on the Sims and uh, from you know being P18 at the end of lap one to making a recovery drive up to, what, what did he get, mm -hmm. P9 was his final position. I thought it was very impressive, especially on his first day. Um, so he would be my vote for driver of the day. I like that. It is amazing watching these guys like compete against you know the rest of the field, a lot of them competitive drivers themselves. But it's just like the best, of the best nearly always come out, come on top. And like they always, you know, race the best. And it's just like, damn, like this is pretty wild. Even watching like a video game where there's all these little nuances. And I don't know how many hours science, science has put on the sim, but uh, generally mm -hmm. he's pretty new to it. Um, so, yeah, no, it's cool. I like I like that pick. Um, I, I think I would go with Leclerc's my drive of the day. I think he's just watching him do his quals like he is just so dialed into his laps um he's so fast he's such a competitor and this like reminds me why he's at the top of the grid in real life like he gets so frustrated if he comes out of sector sector two a tenth down from his pr like like you could see it in his eyes like he just gets so mad at himself and he like he'll like talk in third person and be like no charles no and it's just like <laughs> the dude just loves to compete but honestly that's i think that's yeah. what makes him so great and it's funny to see that translate over into these uh virtual races but the dude's pretty flawless um i think it's tough it's gonna be tough for 
anyone to beat him if these virtual races continue. Yeah, I agree. I was almost I was surprised that Zhao, the Renault eSport driver, I was surprised he wasn't at the top. And I think that just, again, shows how competitive Charles is, how much of a perfectionist he is when he is dominating some of these eSports drivers um, that, you know, that drive professionally or game professionally. But again, he's extremely tough to beat. And I don't think what I think they have a choice of where to ride the next eSport mm-hmm. event, but um, I just I don't see how he loses it. Yeah, no, he's damn good. And again, post-race, he was talking about, or he's more so complaining about how he is profusely sweating. And I'm like, brother, I don't get where where he's... I think he's probably in Monaco, so it's got to be warm. But dude, like, figure that out. I think he's... Oh, must, be a, must be a sweater. I don't know. I get it. I, and, you know, my... My sport every day is staring at a monitor and making sure I don't mess up to my boss on a day-to-day basis. But all of a sudden, I talk to her, and I'm afraid I might mess up. I'm sweating up the storm, so I can imagine, like, trying to be laser-focused for an hour. I'm sure I'd probably break up sweat. So I'll I'll, I'll cut Charles a break on that one. But um, just very interesting to me how intensely focused and competitive you can get in one of those, especially at Ian Poulter, not a huge Ian Poulter guy, but very funny to hear him commentate on him passing uh, Giovinazzi <laughs> and then also just wiping out in the right, turn, right, too. right. It's fun to watch, dude. Also, watching these races makes me want to try a racing sim so bad. Like, it looks like so much fun watching a lot of the midweek streams that these guys are doing. Like, they're just out there having a good time. So I'm thinking now that we're making so much money with this podcast, we should uh, invest <laughs> in a, a racing sim and get and put some streams up ourselves. What do you say? I know. Yeah, we just, well, we need a couple more episodes, you know, because we're only making, what, 10 grand an yeah, episode? Yeah, so, more. Yeah, just a couple more. I'll drop some big money. Uh, on a nice sim and basically lose my job because I'll race on a sim all day. Done. Oh, that would be the dream life, though. That would be the dream life. And you can tell that Charles earns it every single day because, you know, I would love to live that life, but he lives it and does it well. Yeah, no, he does. He puts in the work, too, so don't want to discredit the kid. He's he's uh, no. he's a natural talent, and he's certainly easy to easy to the eye to look at, so got to like it. All righty, ladies and gentlemen, that'll conclude today's episode of the open wheel debrief. Be sure to join us next week as we talk about the Coda IndyCar virtual race. Thanks so much for listening. We always love our loyal listeners. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, the underscore open underscore wheel underscore debrief. For sure to also follow us on Twitter. Make sure to like, subscribe, rate us five stars, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and uh, join us next week. Love you all. No sound I'll find valid in your eyes You'll always be my night sky
Open Real Debrief by Tom Settle and Patrick Hamilton.